Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where it's non-stop to the end of Mad Max to the Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minute 76, which begins with the tanker barreling through the gate of the compound, and it ends with the rig drawing the horde away from the compound. Like you said, this is it. Exactly. The start of the 15-20 minute action sequence that Mm -hmm. ends the road warrior. This is the culmination of everything we've been talking about these last couple of months. Yes. That's surreal. I'm pretty sure we had this same sort of situation when we were talking about the first movie where we got to a certain point. We were like, oh man, we're so close to the end. But for all intents and purposes, there is one final action sequence and then that's it. But holy cow, is it a long one? And holy cow, is it a good one? Absolutely. I kind of feel like this final chase scene set the bar so high that one of the reasons people don't like Thunderdome as much is because Thunderdome could not top this chase. No, Thunderdome's chase is different. Yeah, it felt very on rails for most of it. Supposed to off the rails? Yeah. (laughs) It was more personal. There was more one-on-one struggling and fighting. Yeah, it's a very different chase. But we're very far away from that. So far away from that. We start off this chase, the better one of the two, I think, with the rig barreling through the tire wall. And almost instantly, Max crashes headlong into the DeSoto, the burnt-out car that Papagallo barbecued with the pink guy inside. I'm guessing he hit it so quickly because he needed to get it out of the way so the rest of the caravan could get out behind him. Over the course of this minute, Max crashes into so many different cars. You'd swear it's going out of style. (laughs) Which was exactly their plan. They put that massive cow catcher on the front of the rig Mm -hmm. and iron plating. This was exactly their plan. They knew, first of all, that the gate area was getting clogged up with burnt out cars, which is not great for people trying to get away clean. Exactly. Having to maneuver around those. So the rig going out first clears the path. Very smart. And then Papagallo said in his speech last week that they're either going to crash or crash through. He meant that very literally. Yeah. I know I didn't like the expression, but seeing how the rig literally crashes through anything that's in front of it, yeah. (laughs) I'm okay with it now. (laughs) I actually got a little tired of how many cars Max was crashing into until I remembered that for every car that Max batters with the front of that truck, any car that he's able to disable or motorcycle he's able to run over is one fewer vehicle that is going to be chasing them as they get further away from the compound. And so it makes a lot of strategic sense for him to, oh, just go hog wild. In general, cars seem to be tough things. Right. Like we drive them on a daily basis and most of the time nothing goes wrong you can even have a crash and your car can just drive away it's pretty tough but when you put it up against a rig like this they suddenly seem so fragile like all you have to do is bend the frame enough or destroy one tire enough and that car is disabled yeah it can't chase you 
Cars famously fail to operate on only three tires. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't really take much when facing this gigantic rig. And this rig is tough. We saw the other day the Lord Among Us loading the final four rounds that he had to his name into his revolver there. And so he stands up, points his gun, and he says, you know what? It worked the first time. I'm going to try it again. And so he shoots at the front of the truck. Unfortunately for him, as we were talking about just now, there is a gigantic steel plate welded to the front of the truck now. Yes. And those shots just ding right off the front. Although, I definitely got to give him credit. The grouping on those two shots. Oh, very tight. (laughs) Very tight for aiming at a moving target, being so far away, and not having a long barrel. Like, yeah, it's an 8-inch barrel. It's long for the revolver. But when you think about rifles and things like that, it's a short barrel. (laughs) Yes. And his reduced visibility Mm -hmm. with the mask. And then whatever is wrong with his eyes that (laughs) don't look great. So, yeah, credit where credit's due. Yeah. He almost looks like his eyes are constantly dilated. Dilated is when your pupils are really wide. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And they do look freaky. They make you look like an alien. Mm -hmm. Which I just can't imagine being out in that bright sunlight having super wide pupils. I just, I'm not the kind of person who enjoys being out in the sun because my eyes prefer dark areas. I'm kind of like a mole that way. My office is in the basement of the library and my house windows are usually covered up, but that's because we have old windows. (laughs) They're very drafty, so we've got to cover them with blankets to stay warm in the winter. But I'm not used to a lot of sunlight, so I can only imagine what kind of shiny hell it would be standing outside that long (laughs) without sunglasses. When we were reviewing this minute before we started recording, you mentioned you felt this maneuver was perhaps a little lazy. Yeah. Obviously, the Lord Humongous wanted to disable the truck again by using the same tactic that he used before. And I guess if you've got a large firearm like that, you've got that power, you can throw that weight around. But it just, it would have been so unsatisfying for everyone involved if Humongous had just shot at the rig disabled it right then and there and then the truck is just sitting there like a lame duck the compound people would probably just slam the gate again we've had so much build-up and so much anticipation to have that anticipation cut short like we'll see it in tomorrow's minute where a few people got something too easy yeah and were quite (laughs) self-congratulatory about it didn't work out well for them (laughs) so you didn't have to fight for it Exactly. And I'm disappointed that Humongous thought it would be that easy. I'm a little surprised that he put so many of his eggs in one basket. He only has four eggs. Yeah, and he shot two of them. And he shot two of them so quickly. I understand reduced visibility, but he also had the scope on the gun. He should have been able to see with the first shot that it didn't go through and maybe be a little bit more reserved with how quick he was shooting Mm -hmm. because he pulled off those two shots and fairly quick succession yes he did and yes the truck is driving by but okay fire the first shot look through the scope and say okay didn't go through there's no smoke like last time maybe my second shot i'll use on something else that's not covered in a giant plate of iron right or steel or whatever i'm like max exactly max is pretty vulnerable up there and yeah he's a small target but those doors on that truck they're not bulletproof no heck no 
he could probably estimate where Max is and fire and just go through the door. Sure, there might be some sort of steel substructure in that door that would possibly protect Max, but not highly likely. I guess I'm, on the one hand, glad the Humongous failed when he was using his gun there, but at the same time, I'm also disappointed that he didn't use it more effectively to succeed. Yes, I agree. Sometimes bad guys are just bad at their job. Well, I think that's the crux of every hero-driven movie. If the bad guy was good at his job, then they wouldn't lose so much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Reminds me of the Wolfenstein video games. Over the course of several, it's a video game that you play as an American soldier fighting the Nazis. Great concept. Everybody likes killing Nazis. But over the course of the games, you come to find out that the Nazis won in this retelling of World War II. Mm -hmm. So in this case, somebody was too good at their job and was able to turn the tide in Germany's favor. And that's what happens Mm -hmm. when the bad guy is too good at their job. Speaking of someone being good at their job, though, as the rig is rolling through the wall. We get a shot of Virginia standing up behind her fortification, and above her flies the gyro captain, and he flies down over the bad guys, and he starts dropping firebombs, little Molotovs on them to help clear the way for the rig. Yes, so I did a little digging on Molotov cocktails. I feel like the subject of Molotov cocktails comes up a lot, but they're they're all over like pop culture in movies and in video games and stuff. They're just all over the place. People love Molotov cocktails because they're cheap to make. They're easy to use and they put on a good show. Right. So I did a little bit of digging on Molotov cocktails. Originally called a petrol bomb, it was first used in 1936 in the Spanish Civil War. And after that, it spread incredibly quick to Japan, Finland, and Britain. Kind of so quick that I hesitate to say that the Spanish invented them. Mm. The spread was so quick that it almost seems like they were invented about the same time in several places. It's such an easy concept. Right. All you need is a flammable liquid, an open flame on a rag stuffed into a glass container. Exactly. But I was also wondering about where the name came from, because it's not Spanish. They didn't make it up. Right. I don't imagine the Spaniards saying, oh, let's call it a Molotov cocktail. And right. it's like, wait, what? We're Spaniards. Why would we call it a Molotov? That makes no <laughs> sense. So, Rick, would you read the little article that I left up for you on the laptop about how it was named? Certainly. The name Molotov cocktail was coined by the Finns during the Winter War, called in Finnish a Puito Puyo or Molotovin cocktail. The name was an insulting reference to Soviet Foreign Minister Vyacheslav Molotov who was one of the architects of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, signed in late August 1939. The pact with Nazi Germany was widely mocked by the Finns, as was much of the propaganda Molotov produced to accompany the pact, including his declaration on Soviet state radio that bombing missions over Finland were actually airborne humanitarian food deliveries for their starving neighbors. The Finns sarcastically dubbed the Soviet cluster bombs Molotov bread baskets in reference to Molotov's propaganda broadcasts. When the handheld bottle firebomb was developed to attack Soviet tanks, the Finns called it the Molotov cocktail as a drink to go with the food. I really like that. I always assumed that 
The invention of the Molotov cocktail was Russian because the name was Russian. But while, yes, the Soviet Union did use them, but so did everybody else, it wasn't named by them, and I don't think it was invented by them. I just love that it was a name derived from just being sarcastic and taking a dig at someone. Right, that's right in your wheelhouse. Oh, absolutely is. So the gyro captain uses three Molotov cocktails to decent effect. Oh, absolutely. This is the benefit of having aerial support. He misses with two, but missing isn't necessarily a failure because you still have a pool of flames on the ground. Right. So. He's taking up valuable real estate that the raiders had in their lineup, and he's taking it away and replacing it with fire. Right. Uh, The third one, however, does land in a car, which then... Is just on fire. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say explodes, but it doesn't explode. That's not the point of Molotov cocktail. The point is to set things aflame. Right. Which it does very well. So I imagine that these Molotovs are probably filled with that concoction of leftover heavier elements of the distilling process. Absolutely. That stuff that's not gasoline, that's not diesel, that's just the heavy stuff that wasn't able to get cracked. Yes. Probably still very flammable. (laughs) Oh, yes. And it has to get used somewhere. Right. I've done no research on this, but I would imagine that that stuff is more effective, that it burns longer. Yeah, you would imagine something heavier. Mm-hmm. Would be a bit more viscous, yes, sort like of tar-based, stickier. Yeah, <laughs> and so when it spreads out, it sticks to stuff, which actually we see later this week. Yeah, I was looking down at the rest of that page on Molotov cocktails, and they said that sometimes they would not so much be filled with gasoline, but sometimes more napalm-esque. Oh, geez, napalm is very sticky. Mm-hmm. In fact. You could mix just about anything with gasoline to make it more dangerous. I'm not going to sit here and list all of the different ways that you can make Molotovs because I don't necessarily want to get put on a list any more than we probably already are. (laughs) As long as you have rags, glass bottles, and some sort of accelerant, you're pretty much in the clear. Yeah. And if you happen to be flying in a gyrocopter and able to drop those things unimpeded from just where you're sitting, even better. Which I've got to say, being in the gyrocopter, not having a floor underneath you and just having a seat where you can just drop stuff straight down, huge advantage to this type of sweep down and drop things as you go tactic. I'm not sure there's any way they could have used him better. Mm -hmm. It was perfect. You remember that giant flaming ball that the Timbo slash possibly Derek guy was swinging around over his head? Yes. Maybe tie that to the bottom of the gyrocopter and have it just swinging around like a pendulum or wrecking ball. (laughs) Because when he goes low, that thing can hit people or scrape along the ground or something like that. That's the only addition I would possibly make, but that's probably not the kind of thing you want. Just hanging from the bottom of your gyrocopter. No, I can picture all sorts of horrible things happening. Yeah. As the gyro captain is dropping firebombs and Max is driving through this, (laughs) I struggle to call it a defensive line, because so many raiders seem to be out of their vehicles and not ready to give chase. Right. Wasn't that the whole point? Of the moment from last week sometime, where we saw all the vehicles drive up and make a line? Yeah, I think it was last Thursday. Yeah. 
Why on earth are people out of their cars? Yeah, there's one motorcycle that Max completely flattens. The rider's not even close. Were these raiders so confident that Lord Humongous could stop the truck with his gun that they were just loitering around? Half these guys, as the truck is actively barreling through them, aren't even doing much of anything. Like, right. yeah, they're running to get out of the way, but they're not trying to fight the fires that the gyro captain started. They're not trying to do anything to stop the truck. Where is that one guy who threw the wrench at the windshield of the truck? Because he'd be great in this moment. Yeah. Throwing stuff up into the cab to try and take out Max. Like, that's the kind of proactive thinking that's not on display here. I'm trying to think of any reason they would be out of their cars loitering. I really can't think of anything. Just one more reason why Humongous is just not killing it right now. He's really getting showed up. It does look like Max gets through this initial line with relative ease. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly not what Humongous had in mind. No, not at all. Humongous has had just as much time to prepare for this moment as the compound dwellers have. And the compound dwellers managed to armor their best offense and make it not only into the carrier of the goods, but also turn it into a formidable weapon. Exactly. The compound dwellers, I feel, deserve to win simply because they used their time effectively in preparation. They armored up the tanker. They prepped the caravan vehicles. They did all of this work. And the raiders just, like the cricket with the fiddle, while the ant worked all day, they just twaddled away their time with their little torture montage and laying around. They didn't do any sort of preparation to stop the rig. They didn't do any sort of preparation to assault the compound after the rig leaves. When you look at the amount of effort that was put in by each side, the Raiders don't deserve to win. No. I think really the only thing that they did, kind of since this whole thing started, since the ultimatum, is put on an intimidation display. Yep. Which, yes, that took a lot of work, but it ultimately failed. Mm -hmm. The compound dwellers weren't even paying attention. Exactly. After the initial shock, okay, well, we still have work to do, so let's do our work. I feel like Humongous is the only really competent one in that horde, which probably is a mark to his credit as to how he was able to subjugate so many different factions. Yes, although I would like to point out that the Compound Dwellers not only did a lot of work in fortifying and preparing, they also came up with a clever plan. Oh yeah. The horde could have also come up with some kind of clever plan. I haven't the faintest of what that plan could have been, but that's kind of on Humongous. Yeah, the simplest possible thing that they could have done, I don't know, maybe dig some trenches out in front of the compound, just out of weapon range, but dig a bunch of trenches where if the tanker tried to drive over those trenches, that the wheels would get stuck. <gasps> so oh, simple. That's a good idea. Dig a hole. They should have been digging those holes the whole time. Yeah. Just wow. literally yeah. anything. Yeah, that that is really simple. They're just going to let Humongous pull out his Smith & Wesson and just magic the whole problem away. It doesn't really seem like they had a backup plan. No. Okay, backup plan is, okay, now we're going to chase them. Right. They had a plan A, shoot, plan B, chase. And that's right. pretty much it. And we haven't even gotten to the chase yet because we're still in plan A. Humongous still has his gun out and he's still 
looking for targets. The tanker didn't really work out, but he's got someone else. He's got the gyro captain flying around. This is where all of your why doesn't anybody do anything about the gyro captain flying around yes. from earlier comes in back into play. Right. This was a very good use of one of Humongous's bullets. It could have been a little bit more effective, but actually it was fine. Yeah, it was a, fine. It was a good use. I'm just not quite sure what it did because the gyro captain flies in on another low pass. The Lord Humongous looks over, points his gun at him, fires one shot. We see the gyro captain lurch forward and then fly back up into the sky in kind of a weird half spin skid thing that you can do in one of those auto gyros. I'm not quite sure what that shot did. It is not made clear to us in any way. Right. At the very least, it threw the captain off his game, canceled his bombing run that he was about to do. So very useful there. And then I suppose the scene moved on. The rig had gotten through that first line and was heading up and over the hill Mm -hmm. where we finished the minute. And so the cars were starting to take off. The captain's plan of attack changed to accommodate the group moving on. Right. So we didn't take another low pass. And we never have that gunshot addressed at any point. No. In fact... The gyro captain is going to literally crash his gyrocopter into the ground later on in this movie because of a couple of arrows, and he's going to still be able to drive his gyrocopter. He's still going to be in a fairly good mood by the end of this movie, and he just goes on to join the compound dwellers, and this gunshot never addressed. It's never explained, did it actually hurt him? Did it hurt the gyrocopter at all? It's just a thing that happened in this scene, and that's really it. I suppose that he was just startled by it, aware that he was being shot at with a high-caliber round. Like, maybe it ricocheted off the frame or something like that. Right. And just that. Maybe it whizzed past his ear and he could hear it. Yeah. Enough to send him back up into the sky. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're certainly counting that round in the total. Right. See if we have a magic movie gun or a proper gun. Yeah. Humongous still has one shot left after this. One shot left. I have a sneaking suspicion that when Humongous fired two shots at the front of the truck that they originally intended him to fire three. Why is that? When you watch the movie and they show the shot of the front plate on the truck, it's... Minute 76, second 6, frame 3 is when it starts. Okay. And then for that entire one second shot, the first divot's already there, the second divot pops out, and if you have the ability to go frame by frame, which I know not everybody does, but before that second divot pops out, you can see there's kind of a faint outline of where that divot is going to be. And if you look over to the right and slightly higher of that second divot, there is a third possible divot with a faint outline where they could have had another divot pop into existence. I think what they did for this is they had a small charge of some kind covered by something that looked like the rusted surface of the plate, and then they just pop that top layer off to make it look like a ricochet. Oh, okay. Because it is discolored in such a way that it just doesn't look like the rest of the steel or iron around it. Okay. And they probably kept it only to two shots because they wanted to not make it look like Humongous was just unloading all of his shots on a fruitless effort. <laughs> but I don't 
know off the top of my head if he uses that final bullet. I don't think he uses his gun for the rest of this chase. Really? Well, he is driving. Right. It's one of those things where if you're driving at high speed, probably not as easy to aim. Right. And he seems, in this instance and in the previous instance of him shooting his revolver, he seems pretty careful about it. Oh, absolutely. He takes aim. He's not just shooting willy-nilly. He appreciates his bullets. Mm -hmm. One other fun detail about Lord Humongous firing his gun is that when you look for Wes in those shots where you're over the Humongous' shoulder and the truck is coming out of the compound, you can see that Wes is lying as flat as he can (laughs) against the front of that truck to avoid being shot in the back of the head. To avoid getting at all in the way. I love that detail, both in universe and in production. Mm -hmm. Because even though the Humongous' revolver in in production was filled with blanks, you still don't want somebody standing right in front of it. Exactly. Just because they're blanks doesn't mean nothing's coming out of that barrel. There's going to be sparks and little bits of paper flying at high speeds. Like There are still things that come out of the front of that barrel when you fire a blank. You don't want to be standing right in front of it. Speaking of really quick shots, the final shot of this minute are a few horde vehicles cresting the ridge because we saw the rig coming up the hill. It was leading essentially everybody away. And then we cut over to a couple of vehicles cresting the ridge. It's a really quick, hardly even more than a second of footage. But that shot is going to continue into tomorrow. And we're going to see those vehicles that we see coming into frame. We're going to see what they do, whether or not they keep chasing the rig. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for a minute 76 of the Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.